Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 26 of the Simple Life podcast. You are you are joined, rather, I am joined, as always, by Maka. I am Simpa, and that was a terrible introduction. But... It wasn't, because technically, <laughs> if you think about it, right, the people at home are joined. So you ah. are joined by me, um. Maka, and the beautiful Simpa over here with his lovely T-shirt. What does your T-shirt say today? Just compassion. Uh, it's from a medical dispensary from a guy, an MS patient in Toronto, who set up his own dispensary uh, after he found that cannabis obviously gave him a great deal of symptomatic relief. Uh, really cool dude. Had the opportunity to spend a bit of time with him when I was when I was out there and uh, try some of the shop's wares, which was pretty a, cool. Is that a Breaking Bad little nod at the end there? Was that was that with the T in the? Uh... No, it's the uh, it's a blue uh, blue. I'm colorblind. It's a green cross. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, cool. But I, I liked your philosophical slant there. That was good. That is yeah, good. They are joining us. I like and it. I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. <laughs> See, this was going to be the first week in 25 weeks. We would have got away with it. We would have got away without me asking you awkwardly, <laughs> how are you doing? And you obfuscating the answer and ignoring it. <clears throat> I think anyway, there's, yeah, there's an inherence there. We'll just leave it fly for, the, for today. <laughs> Anyway, folks, uh, we are joined by a wonderful guest today. Um, it is someone that I've known and followed for quite a while. Um, she is ever present within the European cannabis industry and has actually completed quite a few firsts within the industry. Um, our guest today is Clara Herb, who is a French cannabis marketing expert and educator who is currently living in Barcelona. Um, after working at Europe's first CBD cannabis uh, startup, Cannavip, Clara launched her own CBD brand, The Tree CBD, aimed at providing more ethical CBD products. Later on in 2019, she also created Europe's first cannabis marketing agency, Herb & Co. So without further ado, I will throw you over to Clara herself to introduce herself a bit better and give you a better idea of her background and who she is. Hi, guys. Thank you for this great uh, introduction. Uh, so yeah, I'm Clara Herb. I define myself as a cannabis marketer uh, because I today I'm the head of uh, Herb Co, which is a cannabis marketing agency, and uh, we help to uh, business to launch within the industry or to grow uh, in new markets. And uh, so to give you a bit of background. Uh, I started in cannabis in 2016 when I was uh, lucky enough to meet a guy that said to me literally, we need someone that like cannabis and have a big mouth. Do you want to work for us? <laughs> and I was lucky enough to uh, be recruited by this guy from Canavape, uh, Canavape, which later became, uh, became Harmony. Uh, so I stayed two years in Harmony. I was in charge of marketing, so it was great because that was the first uh, company to launch a CBD product in France. So we were really first movers. We opened the market. It was an incredible adventure. And after two years, uh, Harmony was doing great. So I decided to leave to make my own CBD brand with two Spanish partners, uh, which is called The Tree CBD. Um, and it was, uh, we began to sell flowers, which was a success because in Barcelona, we are lucky enough to have the clubs. So it was for us a great, great on, uh, to enter the market. And within a year, we began, we became the first uh, brand in Spain. And uh, after a year in the 3CBD, I decided to go back to my passion, which is uh, digital marketing to help 
other business to do what we managed to do with Harmony and the 3CBD and to uh, promote cannabis to everybody, everyone, everywhere. And uh, yeah, so that's what I'm doing today. I'm uh, sharing my time in between the tree and CBD and Herb and Co. And uh, it's fucking great. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, yeah, it's, it sounds like you've had quite a, a steep sort of trajectory there. You, you've seen you entered the sort of industry in 2016 and you were very fortunate to be in a position um, to be part of a st- the one of the first startups um, to profit, uh, not profit, sorry, to, yeah, I suppose to profit from that um, bulldozing of legislation from really attacking and finding a space to create a market and then being able to um, obviously evolve within that market to such a degree that you gained such expertise within that period of time to be able to establish Urban Co. Um, do, do you, what sort of... Um, sort of companies and people do you work with at Herb & Co? So we started with, we mainly help CBD brands today uh, because they are the brands that want to promote themselves. So for example, we had two clients in Belgium. Uh, one was doing oil, the other one had the flower, uh, flower line. And we, uh, then we had also in Germany, we have some in France. And uh, except this, we also help uh, new kind of business. For example, in France now, we are launching. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Go ahead, go ahead. Keep going. So now in in, uh, French, we are launching uh, Cannabis University and and the formation for new professionals that want to convert themselves into the cannabis uh, market. So we really here to help any kind of business. We also did the glass gallery here in Spain. We did the club also. Uh, it, it, it really doesn't matter the kind of business as long as, soon as, you, as long as you are legal, you are ethic, and we want to promote you. It's really important for us. We, we pick our clients and uh, so any kind of business, but mainly the CBD brands because they are the ones today that are on the front uh, line to promote their products. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. So, so you mentioned about being involved in the uh, French university around sort of cannabis education. Is, is that similar to either sort of like the col- uh, cannabis college in Amsterdam or more of a Oaksterdam sort of situation that they've got in, in California? So it's more like in Amsterdam because it's an institute and it's uh, founded by private investors. So it's a private company. Uh, University is not the right term, it's an institute. And uh, basically this institute is providing uh, formation. They have two types of formation. They have a cannabis one and uh, they have a cannabis culture one. And uh, it's, it's... it's more an institute, the right for the institute, and it's a small group of pupils. It goes by um, promotion. So every year we have a new one. And uh, at the end of this, they have a diploma, uh, which is uh, recognized. And uh, so it's an institute. Yeah. yeah. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I like how you said that you sort of split it into business and of culture. I think that that's something that is is missing from cannabis marketing and cannabis education, especially is they're kind of stuck within the um, the small place between a rock and a hard place, as it were, with legislation and with 
cultural acceptance. But it's great to see then the idea that promoting more of the culture that will permeate or will exist after the legislation is changed. Whereas I think that a lot of the, the material that's being created today is very much of the industry right now, rather than discussing or creating um, accreditation for future progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, because I believe today, I mean, on the marketing, on the marketing side, we really, really need before, before seeking legalization, progress, etc. I believe we first need to educate everybody. You know, because uh, now the first uh, uh, slowdown, the first thing why the industry is not growing is not the legislation, is a lack of education. And uh, people today, they just don't know, you know, and they just, they, they just totally in fear because they don't have the right information. And I believe before everything, we need to educate as much as uh, possible. So that's why today, in anything I'm doing, in any clients I'm having, I'm saying to them, if you want to grow, if you want to make money, in, in, if you want to, as a business, you know, we, it's nice to be educating and shit, but you, you want profit, you know? So I say like, it, whatever you want, you first need to educate the people. And from there, when people know, then we're going to be able to, you know, think about like, uh, like how the, the industry can can expand really um, but that's why today i i'm focusing on the education on the people because great people like you actually are taking care of the activism and, uh, and the low side but as a marketer um, uh, i'm really trying to first open the market you know to really mm -hmm. i don't know if it answers the initial question no, I, th I think sorry. It, it it does make sense. It does make sense if you think about it. I mean, we've we've um, had the idea of of um, you know locally uh, investing. Sorry, using cannabis to reinvest locally and strengthen communities, and obviously, um, the promotion of new types of businesses that will you know affect that in a positive in a positive way is 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 a very is a very important thing to to sort of point out especially if people are more educated about it and have the, the correct information then it's more likely that they'll sort of veer towards um industries or created industries that would be more beneficial to a local community does that make sense exactly I, I almost fucked that point up but i rescued it right <laughs> at the end <laughs> uh, but you know it's interesting what you said but for reinvesting into the community because here in spain we have the cannabis clubs and what they do the cannabis social club is very very interesting it's, it's uh, so it's a place you know where everybody can become a social and uh, when you become a social, you give them the right to grow your plant. And so you can go uh, pick up your plant and smoking on spot. And the thing is like everybody said that they don't have to make profits. This is wrong. They can do profits, but all the profits they make, they have to reinvest it into the club. So this is so interesting because then they, that's when they're going to do conference, that's when they're going to make effort to show different sides of the cannabis club. So it, it's uh, incredibly interesting to reinvest, but at the same time, it stays a bit on a closed uh, circle when it would be very interesting to invest in cutting new, uh, new people 
And uh, the goal is not to to make to cap more people to make more money, but it's more people know about cannabis, more people know they have access to a, a natural way to cure a lot of things. It's not medical claim. I'm not a doctor. I can't do. Uh, I can't give uh, medical advice. Uh, but more people know there is there can be a solution, and more people can benefit from it. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's super important. Yeah, it's it's uh, an interesting point that you saw you brought up before about businesses being informed and sort of of the general population being informed. Ultimately, if these businesses want to be successful in a sustainable industry, they need consumers. If the vast majority of the people don't know they've got an endocannabinoid system, they don't know what cannabis does. All they've ever seen is reefer madness propaganda that has been uh, produced and put out by governments around the world. And then they've kind of met dare campaigns and various just say no sort of anti-drug rhetoric. This then leaves them very, very confused. And I think the clubs then, yeah, as you say, play a vital role in the community because they create a safe space. This is one of the things that has been the cornerstones of what we do when we put on Durham City Cannabis Club events is to try and create that harmonious, peaceful place where people can consume and for a small period of time, forget that the authorities are going to persecute them, that the contents of their pockets could land them in prison. And I think what you said before about that uh, closed loop system of finance can be an issue because then it becomes more and more difficult to to then up costs. Because if, if you want to create a sustainable club model and then improve the experience as you go on, you need that money to invest. But if you've only got a limited number of members, then it, it can be quite difficult, which I yeah. suppose leads, leads me on to what, sorry, what was going to be um, my next question, which is, how have the clubs in Barcelona fared during the lockdowns and during the pandemic? Because I've seen a few different uh, news articles suggesting that there are some movements in some of the clubs where they have been physically taken over by armed gangs. They have kind of turned up on the doorstep, chased them off, changed the naming of the club, and then I own the club. So I was just, uh, just curious about your experiences with what's been going on recently. Um... So the clubs, uh, I've been experiencing them for like uh, seven years now. And uh, it's true that there is a big change, but uh, I'm not sure it came with this uh, for the lockdown. I think it's arrived before because basically um, for a long time, the cannabis club were not legal. And one day they became legal and you they start giving license for place to open. And that at this time of the, at this time, People, like it was around 2012, 2013, uh, people that were getting lessons, it was it was really the growers that were growing the plant for the people, that was really the people that love the plant, the people that wanted, a bit like now in the UK, I guess, you know, like if you open a club, it's because you're an activist, because you're ready to go against the law, because you're here to help the people, you're here for the plant. And the thing is with the years, so the business went great, a lot of uh, clubs uh, did wrong by inviting a lot of tourism, by making a lot of profit, etc. And since that moment, the laws on the cannabis club have been restricted a lot. They had to comply a lot of more norms, so it was more and more costly, uh, less and less interesting to have profit. And that at that point, that a lot of clubs actually uh, had to close. Then, of course, the lockdown didn't help, but that's a movement that that 
that uh, happened a few years ago already. And the thing is now what happened is like uh, license are being bought by people that really uh, don't care about the plant. That's, I guess, what you call the gang because they invest into the sex club and into the cannabis club. And they're just here to make money. So they open a lot of different clubs in a lot of different locations and it's commercial and the, and the Instagram is nothing about the plant. It's, it's girls naked and it's, it's, we totally lost the plant, the love, part the culture of the plant you know but yeah. it's not mm -hmm. all the clubs there is still some clubs that are like the best you know like la calada dr do uh mr teddy i mean the ones that are here since the beginning that has still have the community taking care of the community like and still uh, <coughs> uh, move the good value but as you said now it's new for a few years we have the clubs commercial clubs opening and uh, they did take over the clubs from activists that from people that were here for the communities and uh, yeah it's a shame you know i believe it will be is a spot for everyone but now it's really taking over because of the money the one with the more money is the one that is buying the more license and uh, it's a shame it's a shame i it, it's true it's true mm. You're right on that point. Do you think it may end up, uh, obviously, the new, and I believe, first female uh, mayor of Amsterdam is obviously trying to shake up the sex worker industry and uh, cannabis tourism within the city. And one of the things that they've proposed is basically a ban on tourists. And this has culminated because of uh, a rivalry issue with suppliers. So the the coffee shops were allowed to hold 500 grams per day as a kind of discretion. Once it's sold, another 500 comes in and that was called the backdoor supply problem. Um, so that they was allowed to legally sell them. You could carry five grams on the street. And so there was this discretion around it. What would then happen is once the real organized criminals got involved is they found uh, found basically a loophole or forced the Dutch uh, government's hand that if they fired one single shot at a coffee shop, a gunshot, the establishment would have to shut for two weeks while an investigation was performed. So what then happened is the gangs would then basically go to the owners of the coffee shops and go, you buy from us or we shoot you down. And it's not to kill them. They literally drive by at two, three in the morning, somebody on the back of a little scooter fires one shot into it and drives away. And it shuts them down. They lose the profits and everything for two weeks. Then the gang comes back to them and goes, do you want to, do you want us to supply you now? And I worry that that's going to become a, a similar situation in Spain. And I think what you said before about the money, I fear part of this is coming from across the Atlantic because they've still not figured out social consumption lounges as they want to call them over there. They still haven't quite figured out clubs or any social consumption spaces and model. Uh, a lot of the people with the money and the influence then fly over for events like Spanabis and they end up pumping so much money into the economy over a weekend that the clubs look for the rest of the year and go, well, we should live for this. And if they can then create those connections and start importing the Californian, the Canadian genetics, they can then charge double three times the price of local zone while creating a market for them to sell their Spanish genetics abroad as other exotics. So it, it kind of, it's it creates a, a well, yeah, it's a wide, wide gray area for some perhaps not best intentioned people to end up uh, running and regulating the supply of cannabis. 
What did you say? Where's the last sentence that you don't get it? Um, then it ends up leaving um, people that, as you said before, really don't have the plant's best intentions in mind in charge of regulating the supply of cannabis. Ah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. This is like, this is... Uh... Yeah, yeah, it's all about... Uh, uh... No, sorry, I don't have anything clever to say. <laughs> I, I, I... It's, it's, it's absolutely fine. I've been yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just gonna repeat what you said. I mean, you, you just, yeah, yeah, totally. Like here in, in Spain, the problem is like we don't have a clear uh, law on what uh, can be done and what can be done when the when when, for example, in Spain, the clubs don't have the right to in to invite the tourists because basically in Spain uh, the law on the cannabis club on cannabis in general says that you have two uh, places to smoke two two right to smoke the first one is at home so you have the right by law to have six plants at home then you grow your plants you can smoke them at home you can like do whatever with them at home but you can't take them out, you can't uh, walk with the tree, in the street with them, uh, you can't sell them, obviously, so or you grow. And if you don't have the capacity to grow your own plant, then that's when you go to a cannabis club and by becoming a member, you give them the right to grow your plant. And therefore, when you go in a cannabis club, you go to consume your part of the, of the, of the plantation uh, of the club and therefore you can consume this part in the cannabis club but you don't have the right to take it out you don't have to, the right to sell it etc so this is the law on cannabis club and normally like if you don't live in barcelona you shouldn't be able to enter in a club or if you are in a club you should be only in one club you know like that's that's the essence of it but i never saw a club being punished for having a lot of tourists. I haven't been seen a club uh, being punished for not reinvesting the profit. So that's the open door to all the people that just don't care, you know, and they're just here for the profit because it's easy, nobody checks. Uh, people is, is putting a lot of money into cannabis. So yeah, of course, if we had a clear law on what can be done and what can't be done, uh, for sure it would uh, reduce this kind of uh, situation, you know, because uh, now it's just gonna go exponential. So mm. that's a shame, you know. Yeah, is is there much of a a movement at the minute to get Spain to shore up its laws, or are people seemingly happy with the status quo? Now there is a big group of activism here uh, that was called La Rosa Verde, and uh, they changed now recently. But uh, they are very active, actually. They are like just lately, there was a big thing because a club owner uh, was sentenced to jail uh, because he had too much stock in his club. But it was like an activist from the beginning, like he was one of the first ones to have a club. He always invests in the, the money he made, was always invested in the club. So it was really unfair. Like, uh, this, this kind of uh, this group, La Rosa Verde, went in front of the government to explain that that was the case, and they managed to change the law on the fact that now the clubs have more versatility on the stock they can have. 
because uh, before they could only have flowers. And uh, since that case, they opened the club uh, to more products so they can have like, for example, now hash or edible or all these things. So there is indeed a group specifically in Barcelona that is fighting a lot. Uh, that is fighting for the club, that they are fighting for the club owner, that is fighting for for the right of the cannabis consumer, and uh, then on a national level, uh, there is a political party that are actually pushing for cannabis to be um, open. And now, recently, we have uh, clubs all over Spain. Uh, before it was just in Catalonia, but uh, now there is a new, it's not really a regulation, huh, but it, there is a new, uh, it's not a law, but the, like in Barcelona, it's like uh, it's something specific, like... Um, like a tolerance, uh, or... I don't know how to say it. Sorry? Are they like the tolerating the clubs in the other regions? Yeah, exactly. Like uh, nothing says that it's uh, legal, but now... Uh, it's tolerated. There is, like in Spain, you know, there is this mm -hmm. thing that's okay. You can have a license uh, if if you pay your. They are paying tax, you know. So as long as they are paying tax, like, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's interesting because I mean, is is there a movement in Spain to unionize amongst cannabis clubs for the, as it were, um, good apples to gather together and get themselves out of the bad apple bucket? <laughs> so <coughs> that's a good question. Uh, you know, the thing is, here the clubs have uh, there is a lot of competition in between the club, and that was before uh, this takeover by the Russian, American, etc. So uh, I have to. I think La Rosa Verde, the, the thing. I was saying before, I think he's taking this this role to gather the cannabis club and to to fight for them. I'm not sure there is a, a movement specific to the cannabis club. Uh, I, I didn't hear about it, but uh, I think La Rosa Verde is, is fighting for them. And I don't believe anyone is taking care to push the bad ones. <laughs> Maybe I should do it then. It's one of those things we see whenever we have a slight tolerance of a drug market, whatever the drug is or wherever it is in the world, people that are very happy to live in a criminal underworld, commit mass criminality as in they are typically violent sort of people that don't, don't pay any tax and not interested in their societal responsibility, are quite happy to just mooch off the land and rob what they can. They, they find these small pockets and they exploit them. And we saw this with sort of soft touch in California first in America with the medical marijuana program. And that was very quickly exploited by corrupt doctors who were then bought out basically by carteled individuals that then became companies. They then were able to exert and put their pressure on other states and other regions until these companies have become what we're supposed to accept as legitimate entities, yet a lot of the roots of them come direct from criminality. So I think that we need to see movements in places like Spain and Amsterdam where different discretionary models are being trialed in the real world, not theoretical, not data collection, but actually we're witnessing what happens and what happens when if you could watch, see it under a microscope, is the can cannabis is actually generating economic benefit and very little social harm. 
but because it's still tied up with, say, in Amsterdam, the sex trade, um, lager lout tourism and other drug consumption, it, it muddies the waters. The same is then true with, I suppose, criminal organizations trying to exploit the clubs in Spain. Yeah. So that being said, what what do you think could be done, having been someone that has been so close to the associations and to the clubs? What could be done? We need yeah. to we need to regulate. We just need to regulate. And uh, the problem now is like the license. Before there was, you had to be, you had to show, uh, you had to deserve your license. You know, you needed to have the place. You needed to show your plantation. You needed to make your plan. Like that was controlled. You know, the thing is now the people are rebuying the license. So there is no control anymore. So the first thing to do would be to forbid the reselling of license because anyone now can buy a license. Even if they don't live in Spain, you know, like there is Russian owner, they don't, they never put a foot in Spain and they have three clubs here. You know, how can they care? So I think the first thing is really to stop the reselling of the license and then, is uh, to to I think honestly stop the resale of the license and we have a big big time because before you had to prove you went you were a Spanish citizen you had to prove you were living in Spain for a few years you have to prove that the good clubs with this license that the clubs that are here that are sustainable that are ethic that are here to help the people and that understood that the cannabis club is to help the population and the ones that didn't deserve them they are the ones that just do it for the money so having more control always more control but the good one <laughs> because now they're controlling they're controlling the clubs that are here for years they're controlling Maybe there is some corruption behind because it's really weird that nobody is watching at the big clubs and like uh, so more control and fair control. I think maybe community control. This would be something that would work well with the union of clubs. Like I said before, that if enough of the people that, as you said, the activists, the people who fought to win this right, that are now running their establishments to better their communities, not to profit themselves, they should be. Um, they should be rewarded for that in a way, not financially, but in a way that goes, you guys know what this is about. <clears throat> so put put into a position where they can self-regulate from best practice. And I, I think exactly what you were saying before, the resale of licenses, this is something that the Americans and Canadian big companies are trying to get around and they're just merging and buying out so that by the chain of it, they can buy uh, minority-owned licenses, which are becoming ever more... Um, restricted within or rather unrestricted within American markets. So they're incentivized first. They're, they're buying out their brand through a corporation so that the giant Coca-Cola of cannabis has all these licenses, but they haven't got one of them. They've just bought them out. Yeah, exactly. so I think that the same risk could then occur in Spain, even if we do sort of regulate. So I think it, we are, there needs to be that internal regulation of, of the good people, the good guy, as it were, standing up against the people that are just flowing in at the minute and busting the industry it seems because they can see themselves earning a quick book out of cannabis yeah yeah yeah. you know so what is happening here on the talking about community but the problem is like is you in french you say you're cutting a head and there is three that is growing is that there is a boycott from the 
for example, from the people that know the value of the cannabis clubs that I have long time, they boycott the kind of clubs, you know. And uh, so that's also a first measure we're trying to say to people, you know, don't go there because he's doing that and don't go there. But the thing is, like, these clubs, they, they don't care about the community. They just go for the young girls. They just go for, like, you know, they, they just apply a marketing that they don't care if the community don't like them because they're not here for them. And there is always young people. Because, for example, today the clubs are close to the less than 21. These clubs open them for at 18, sometimes even 17. So they, they create markets, you know, they create a yeah. market that was not able to go in the cannabis club. So yeah. yeah, yeah, totally from the community of the users, from the community of the owners, uh, it shows that the community must stand up for yeah. herself in a way, for sure. Yeah, it's just interesting. The thought I had there is sort of we were talking back and forth that was mulling on the back of my brain was that a lot of the culture that we're seeing is, is really morphed out of being the diversity of a cannabis consumer in that we welcome you because you consume cannabis to almost that of a drug dealing culture. So some of the, the clubs that then are predominantly occupied by late teenagers, early 20 year olds trying to get their Instagram pictures and trying to get the numbers up they're more interested in being seen with certain strains and cultivars or at certain clubs, being able to check in in certain places on social media than they are about learning about the plant or how it affects them and the, the potential harms and benefits that can come from it. Because if they're consuming high amounts of THC just to be seen spending money and to be seen living a, sorry, but it's a crass expression, but baller lifestyle. <laughs> you know what I mean, though, but... Um... Fucking neoliberalist. <laughs> Just go with that. No, but you know, do you, but do, do you know what I mean, though? They, they are trying to live to a certain facade rather than yeah. a community space that is welcoming of the diversity of all consumers. They're kind of narrowing their entrance and going... You kind of have to dress a certain way, act a certain way to then fit in within our club. So what they're doing is that they're almost creating the consumer for that through the perpetuation of the culture. It's cyclic because this is this isn't a new thing. This is do you know what I mean? This is generation after generation after generation get drawn into this type of thing into into capitalism, into into that that sort of lifestyle, that materialist sort sort of lifestyle. And, a fear and that, uh, that... also this teenager, I see them here, they just uh, co-port, they just, uh, uh, because our generation, we fight hard to to fight the cliche, you know, to say like the cannabis consumer, it can be everything, you can be a doctor, a lawyer, yeah. a businessman, etc. Mm. This teenager, they just totally co-porting the cliche, not of the stoner, but here, for example, of Barcelona, they are like trappers, you know, so like they kind of remake it illegal, they kind of remake it dark, you know, they kind of remake it, and you're like, like the girl, you know, it's not, uh, they, they kind of not uh, helping the cause, <laughs> you know, and you're like, guys, yeah. uh, you're trying to make it open to your grandma, and right now, even uh, your grand, even your grand sister won't want it. So... Mm. Yeah, it's always the same. We need to educate, educate them, educate them, and then. Yeah, but, but I mean, yeah, listen, I mean, when you're young, like, you don't fucking listen to anybody. Oh, I fucking yeah, didn't. Do you know what I mean? Like, that it's your your ego is so strong at that fucking point that that you, you you know what you want. So fuck everybody else. 
at whatever <laughs> echelon of cheekiness that you want to fucking uh, uh, you know go mm. with so my my concern would be if we're sort of how do we how do we sort of widen that then remove that expectation because it's not just new to cannabis what else can we do to remove the limitations that are being placed on the club environment and the stigma that ca- that is carried with that sort of environment for the general punters say like the lads that like mm. to only to drink beer all the time you know that kind of way and don't know anything other than cannabis drug drug bad right so <clears throat> it i think just to sort of go back to what your original points were clara about focusing on sort of education i had an idea right focusing on pre-existing businesses within sort of localized communities and educating them to the commercial or the the capitalized um potential that 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 uh fucking the plant has right and the only reason i said this I, i'm completely anti-capitalist i don't i i would in an ideal sense i wouldn't want that to happen however if be if more people are getting uh, more interested in potential income in that regard because money fucking talks at the end of the day do you know that kind of way can we not use your approach to go educate these people to go look you can cut your losses you can fucking you know go to farmers and go look you're struggling with biodiversity you're struggling with any of these things do you know about the nutrients that you can get by introducing this stuff into your into your fucking um environment you know that kind of way i think i think we really need to fucking double down on that style of or that side of a pushback and completely remove the attraction from um or the expectation from capitalist style uh businesses or limited clubs now i'm not i'm not shitting on clubs what i'm saying is basically there's there there's a certain sort of there's a boxed inness do you know that kind of way they have an awful lot of the 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 uh, preventative measures the fences already put up do you know that kind of way so how can we think about that outside of that box well maybe that sort of education would be could be used in eventually in conjunction with the club model. If you see what I mean, what are you going to say? Don't be smiling. I, 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 I was going to put all of what you've just said into one sentence. Fine. Do that. <laughs> I, like, um, I, I had my fucking five minutes. I'm happy. Go ahead. Um, so I think what you, you, you're asking there is how we can use the clubs to perpetuate education about the mm. other benefits and applications of cannabis that aren't it as a drug. Um, not necessarily. It's more of a sort of a side venture in, that would end up being used with the clubs. So you'd mm-hmm. have to you'd have to almost use people like uh, like yourself, Clara, digital marketers, the people that are educated in 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 capitalism. Do you know that? Not gonna not 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 in a negative sense, but they fucking know how to how to actually make this work. How can that be applied to other aspects of the communities? that sit outside the clubs. Do you see what I'm saying? And then hit them with the one, two. The fucking extra bit in clubs here. I got my reverse cameras all mixed up. Um, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Do you mean you, we need to educate? What I understand, but I'm not sure I understand well, okay. 
That's okay. But what I understand is you're trying to say that we need to educate the business in their language so they can perpetuate yes. the, the business. Yes, no? exactly. So that's actually what I'm doing with Herb and Co. Because like when you when you're a business, you're not an activist. But when you're a cannabis business, you need to be an activist. So somehow I'm always trying to talk in terms of business when I'm saying to them, look, by being an activism, that is a business strategy that is capi being an activist can be capitalist in your language you know and that's what i'm trying to make understand mm. the business is like i'm trying to make them understand how cannabis is a how the situation is cannabis now how it should be for them to achieve their goal of money of capitalism mm. of uh, fame of uh, eco trip and shit and uh, it's always we always need to talk in their language in their language it's always like how do they make more money how do they make more money it's opening the market how mm. do they open the market is educating or inspiring because now it's the only way so that's how i'm trying to join the both like the yep. company's uh goal that is money and the community's goal that is uh fun just cannabis uh, everywhere and for the green, green <laughs> energy free, for instance green free, energy. free free freedom i think is the lowest common denominator of the community it is the one thing that i think drives us all we do not want to be fearful walking down the street we do not want to see a blue light and have that kind of anxious feeling and your heart kind of goes for a second and you think what's in my pockets where am i what am i doing we shouldn't have that sustained psychological attack from the establishment we should have the same protections as an alcohol consumer somebody that consumes caffeine or tobacco i think the, the true freedom it's just a spectrum so some people are happy that oh decriminalize that's the first step and i'll, I'll settle with that some people like myself are slightly more extreme and are kind of not going to stop fighting until it is like alcohol is now because it's a lot less harmful but it should be regulated in the same sort of way. It shouldn't, we shouldn't then force the other substances into cannabis. We should use cannabis as the measure to free the other substances, in my opinion. And I think that the way you can combine these two things wonderfully is exactly what you're saying through education. So the clubs, for example, they're growing, say, six plants per person. You then have a thousand uh, members. You've got 6,000 plants. You've got the stalks, the sticks, and the stems of all of those plants that then could be used as biomass. It could be used to produce graphene. It could be used in a multitude of other ways that I imagine currently it's just mulch. It's just going back into, if it's lucky, some form of either no-till or some form of um, uh, composting. But more than likely, it's just going to go to waste. Whereas if we kind of looked to vertically integrate um, and diversify from just the drug aspect, I think the community of clubs could earn themselves a much stronger footing within the rest of uh, especially Catalonia with wanting to have more autonomy from Spain by being able to bolster the rest of its industry. You think of how much uh, Spain exports in terms of pr fresh produce or in terms of what they're producing seeds to the international market. If these were then ran by the clubs as well, all of that extra income, rather than creating these huge profitable industries would still create the profitable industry but the majority of that money would build the, the Spanish people up first. It wouldn't then end up opening another cookie store somewhere or opening another whatever brand here, there and everywhere. You know what I mean? It would actually help the, the people that created the environment for this profit to happen. Mm. 
a hell of a ponder there, Maka. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hmm. I, yeah, I, 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 it's an interesting point, I think. I'm just, yeah, I, it, it's, is there, what is the resistance then? Do you know what I mean? Because it feels like there's a missing piece. You've got a, a reluctance on the, on, you know, almost every government side to fully embrace the plant because of, I don't fucking know why, really, to be quite honest about it, because they're creating so many fucking problems for themselves in this regard, because you're preventing things like vertical integration from happening. You're preventing um, the removal of said stigma. Say, say you might have um, conglomerates that would be more comfortable speaking to somebody that has, you know, a fucking suit on the tie that works in digital marketing and would actually listen to, to Clara over a, a, you know, a store owner or not store owner, a fucking club owner. Do you know, club club owner got. I have all the same fucking information. Do you know that kind of way? I'm just thinking, like, how how the fuck do we do we get that connection to happen? Do you know that kind of way? That's the fucking missing piece because the lack of clarity is it's obviously is driven by some sort of mis not mistrust but like um, misplaced faith in fucking prohibition. Do you know what I mean? It's like and 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 even when you get to the likes of Canada, um, who has what forty eight laws? I can never remember the fucking number, right? But it's it's half assed shit. Do you know what I mean? You still got black markets. You still got problems. You just see you see my problem. You've still you've put up all of this, all of these stopping points, and without thinking about how everything is inter fucking connected, and it's really fucking disheartening and disappointing to to like to to consider that there really isn't an environment where that freedom that you've just said simpa isn't fucking there you can't just walk down you go go to any store or whatever and pick something up and just go outside and start fucking puffing it in canada no 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 no, no. fuck you do you know that kind of way i mean this it's it's nonsense it's it, it's absolutely nonsense so i appreciate that there was quite a few points in there and it was more of a frustrating vent than than a singular sort of response to what you've just said but you know your, your your answer is is sat here in our guest. Exactly, Cla exactly. Well, well, that's what I'm yeah. trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. Is 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 Cla Clara is trying to unify marketing with education, with actually not just creating a space for companies to profit, but teaching them the basics. Exactly. Because you, the the sheer number of companies around the world that have gone, I have money, that will make me more money, and they go and give it to somebody like Clara that will have no soul. I'm not saying you do, but I'm say saying that you don't, sorry. Um, but somebody in your position that is literally just going, I want to make all the money. Yeah. They can very quickly connect those dots and they miss the fundamentals. And if they miss the fundamentals of the science or the basics of the plant, once they're then not working with somebody who is educated, they could end up creating a very dangerous product. They could end up mis mislabeling, mishandling, breaking a lot of laws yeah. and potentially causing great harm. So the point that I think Clara has made um, most uh, uh, clearly this evening is, is education is the, the, it's the first, middle, and last step to all of mm. this. It has to be side by side because we can't just allow ourselves to ever become too relaxed within the science of this because it evolves every single day. And what one thing we're, t we're teaching today saying is this is fact, a discovery tomorrow will show us to be entirely wrong. And 
we're still talking about laws and legislation that were written 60 years ago. <laughs> you think of how much discovery we have made in 60, 70 odd years and the fact that we're having to still have these kind of conversations. But I think it is really, um, to me, inspires me and fills me with optimism that companies are receptive to what it is that, that you are selling, I suppose, in this sense, Clara, that they're actually going, oh, shit, yeah, we don't want to just make money for the next three months. We want to know what's going to happen with the law change. Exactly. And actually, the good, the good ones are going, exactly. no, no, we, we want to make that law change. Yes. And here's the thing. Exactly. Sorry. Go but, ahead. you know, with Herbanco, we're really careful because we had to, we're only working with people that want to work for the cause. You know, every time I have a new client, I always say to them, like, if you enter in the cannabis industry, you need to become an activist. Because I actually did, uh, had to refuse a few clients, uh, particularly Israel one, that I could ask him anything, you know, it was, what are your goals? Like, uh, what is your vision for the future? Like, and it's all about money, 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 money. And he, he didn't, he, he didn't even know CBD was a different molecule than THC, you know? He was just like, yeah, if you can find CBD without THC, then we're going to make money. And the, the, the companies now that are not educated and that are coming for the market have the world power to kill, kill the market. And, and for example, in France, um, in, it was in 1617, so the, the market opened a bit, like CBD companies, First Harmony, and then a few came, like Okahan, etc. We have made so many, they went in front of the government, like to change the law, like we made, we really, for two, three years, we put such an effort in uh, going for the government, changing the laws, educating the people in the white way, like this was such a work, you know, and therefore the CBD legalized in, uh, in 18, uh, didn't legalize, but uh, a new law passed to say that CBD couldn't be illegal, in Europe, mm -hmm. so that's on what the CBD shop opened in France. But there is one guy uh, that has nothing to do with the cannabis industry that had that knew nothing about cannabis, obviously neither about the industry. Took the bus and like a week after CBD, this uh, new law passed. He opened like coffee shops in Paris everywhere where you could see the big CBD buds in the in the window shopping when it was illegal, you know, it's still illegal to show the products, you know. So it was like coffee shop with big buds and like promo, like uh, like big promo all over the city, like young people queuing in front of, like making all the social media with the with governments took, uh, took, uh, was, was afraid of this, of course, he took it really bad. So on one week after, we had a new law saying that we couldn't sell CBD flowers and saying that all the CBD products must be done with CBD extracted from the seed and the steam. Same as we have in, same as <laughs> we have in Britain. Exactly clever, you know? But mm. all that, so they made it illegal. Clearly, they made it illegal. Two weeks after European Opinion says they couldn't make it illegal. And all that because of one fucking guy that knew nothing about nothing, just about there was money to be made. 
and he killed the whole France industry. And today in France, just now, just a few months ago, uh, Europe uh, uh, criticized France for putting CBD illegal because, you know, in Europe, you can't forbid a product to come to cross the European barrier if you can't show it's an issue for public security or public health. And uh, because France can't prove that with CBD, uh, they had now to change the law. And so just now in France, the situation is changing a law for CBD, but uh, without ineducated people and without interested people, we would have been for mm -hmm. two years, three years already with uh, a yeah. clear CBD market. Is, so yeah, yeah. Is, is there now a risk of an, a resurgence, another one of these guys popping up and going, I'm going to do exactly the same thing. And, and you end up going around the carousel again. Yeah, fuck that. He got, uh, he got, uh, he got uh, justice on this guy. He had, uh, he got to do justice problem. I think he don't have the right to work anymore. You know, like he was like banned him from the industry sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like this. But uh, no, yeah, we always, uh, we never protected from uh, assaults, you know, and that's, uh, that's an issue. And that's why I think the most we explain to people and most assaults will be ashamed to be assaults, you know, if everybody knows, because now if nobody knows they are this, they can just, for example, coffee shop, nobody knew, you know, that he couldn't do that. Everybody was happy, blah, blah. Nobody knew it just killed the industry. But uh, yeah, if people were more aware, uh, but yeah, I think we never protected from those people. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's interesting because I suppose the ignorance in our history have simultaneously held us back, but also pushed us forward because without his ignorance in a lot of ways, the system wouldn't have gone then. We, that's not what we meant. So they then wouldn't have been able to go back to the drawing board, take that minute and kind of go, what is it that we, we're going to do? Obviously, it is then international pressure that is then kind of forced their hand. Um, but it's, it's going to be very interesting because obviously we over here in our little island are no longer part of Europe, apparently. Um, Brexit has kicked in Article 15 without getting too political to our listeners. Um, things are pretty difficult at the minute in terms of importation exports in terms of treaties etc the european union however are, are looking quite far ahead and they're now starting to recognize that there's somewhere in the region of 700 to 750 million people in the mainland european area and that if there's one trading block they're legalized legitimized and regulated in some form a cannabis market they would dwarf the entirety of North America. So Mexico, North America is in the United States and Canada. So that sort of NAFTA area, as it were, that North America free trade agreement to, to go back to uh, Bill Clinton's sort of pipe dream um, is going to be, is looking to be built on cannabis. And I think the European Union, that sort of NAFTA um, combination, as it were, are looking at China. These three areas are starting to recognize that wait, cannabis isn't just a drug. It's not just about novel applications of certain compounds. It's the technological advancements that it offers, offers us. China, for example, I think the 600 and something intellectual patents for cannabis derived technologies, over half of them 
are owned by the Chinese state. So they're moving ahead really far and fast with trying to understand what this will look like in 10, 20, 30 years. So I kind of feel that we as activists and we as people in the lower echelon of, I suppose, the, uh, the Western market, we're kind of being controlled by, I think, the elites within our community, the big investment firms, the individuals that have trillions, they're waiting to see the right player do it's it in exactly the right way. Then they're going to back it in the hope of creating an economic yeah. trading block that can go against these things. So for now, they're quite happy to import and allow certain things to sort of free flow. But I think as a body, the it, cannabis is the future. There is no way to deny it. As Jack Herer famously said, cannabis is our future or is the future of all mankind or there won't be one. And when you really look at the technologies, if you really look at our history and the fact that it was with us for millennia, then there's this 150-year-old blip of us trying to eradicate it around the world and then succeeding to a certain or lesser degree in terms of its uh, wild availability. Um, the damage that's caused to the environment, the damage it's caused to um, industry by allowing petroleum and petroleum-based plastics, by allowing energy production from fossil fuels that are not necessary through creating ethanol fuels rather than bioethanol fuels from, from cannabis, seed oil. So there's, there's all of these consequences that they're now, I think, looking at basically reversing, but the, the powers that be could never give us us is in the people that know this shit, the people that have been screaming about it while they've wagged their finger and gone, you're wrong and you're bad for thinking that and someday you'll get your comeuppance kind of thing. They're now going to build this industry and they're going to shut the door on behind us. Yep. So even if they don't manage to criminalize us, they will take our ideas and present them as new innovations. They will patent them. They will create a whole echelon of industry that we'll just have to marvel at while the crumbs of industry fall at us, unless I, I believe that the answer to a lot of the questions we've presented this evening is the same thing I'm arguing in the UK now, is unity, true unity between the people who don't just want to get this legalized, make some money and retire, the people who have always fought for this plant and will always fight for it, who know the culture and the community and the history and want to honor that, respect that. They want to see the dealers and the healers and the community leaders of prohibition be recompensed and actually given an opportunity to to build this industry because their knowledge is invaluable we can either wait 20 30 years for a university or a laboratory somewhere to discover what some guy called mike down the road has known for 15 years in the way that he's developed his plants but nobody's bothered to ask him or worse they've locked him in a prison cell you know, I mean, we've, we're losing millions of people's lived experience and their knowledge and their passion by criminalizing them. So if we can unify in everything from, like I say, literally dealers, growers, everybody from all walks of life that truly has that vision and that passion to combine the potential of that movement around the world could be huge. I look towards LGBTQ community and the, their progression over the past several decades and how they've unified and dealt with certain inner beefs to then create this stance of, no, we're persecuted by the other. We should not otherize each other. And I think if we don't have that conversation with ourselves, we miss it. So if the brands that have made their money off the backs of the activists don't then come back and go, come on, guys, we'll get your jobs or whatever and we'll help you figure out the next thing and help fund that next step. It's 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 reciprocal we're crossing a an open water of prohibition and it's like there's only one or two logs 
So each time we've got to take the one from the back. But if we're all stood on the log, there's no progression. We have to move forward together to, to get across here. Otherwise, Coca-Cola, Starbucks, Microsoft, Google, they're just going to come in and just go, thank you. And they'll buy the industry and it will become so standardized and, and homogenized that it will lose everything we fought for. It will lose the history and its passion and its, in a lot of ways, its purpose. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost Yeah, I thought that it... Go ahead, go ahead, Clara. Yeah, you know, I, I totally agree. I totally, it's only by being one strong force and really we're gonna make it work. The only thing is I'm afraid the big buyers, I call them the big buyers, meaning the ones that are gonna come and buy us or buy our soul, <laughs> but like only like the pharmaceutics, the big once it figurized, because I've been seeing hit like the big American company, I just ready to come in Europe. They're just waiting for the day the law is changing, the day after they're here, they have the headquarters, they have everything here already. And the only thing is like, I totally agree with you. I'm afraid that, that they don't have the, us, the people fighting since the beginning and that we are here for the plant. We don't have the same interest as the people that will come to, to manage the industry, you know? And I'm afraid like if we really want to follow them at some point, we will have to to sell our soul once again. Because for example, the big goals, they want to have a way to have, a, um, how do you say like, uh, unify the cannabis, you know what I mean? Like they want to be able to pattern and to have, a way to grow always the same kind of cannabis. Uh, when sta stand we... Standardize the industry. Exactly, yeah. exactly. When all the interests of cannabis in its diversity, like it, it's like we can't standardize like cannabis, you know, like, and uh, they, so I believe that, so I do believe uh, what you say, but I'm afraid we, uh, our interests are too far away uh to really go in one voice i'm sure we can find some uh way to fight together on some agreement but uh, somehow they always have uh they will always have the power to say like yeah. well, shut up yeah. we're gonna do our way so that's why i'm trying to be millionaire <laughs> before that yeah. happens so i can fight the billionaires you know that, that's my goal with the <laughs> It's, 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 it's a good, good, good ambition. It's a good way to fight from the inside, from, from the inside in. I, exactly. I, I, I am pretty sure that I am already viewed as far too cynical by a lot of the people that will establish the industry to actually even offer me a paid position within some of, uh, of their, uh, projects, I imagine, but it, it, it doesn't, but I would, I would like to hope so, but ultimately I think that my responsibility uh, as an activist or my kind of obligation to cannabis because of what cannabis has given me over my lifetime is to in some way either inspire gather help in some which way cobble together a coalition of willing individuals that are capable and competent to be the ones to set what legislation looks like to move beyond ideas like decriminalization and legalization so that they can't just suddenly take the industry because it's not a case in a lot of places, unfortunately, that they're just sat at the door kind of going, oh, well, anytime, any day now, any day, 
they're in boardrooms, they're in parliaments, they're whispering in politicians' ears, they're promising them board positions on companies, they're setting up all kinds of investment firms. A lot of sitting MPs in the UK are currently invested in cannabis. It is getting quite a ridiculous state of affairs. And they're pushing for the law to change to benefit the corporation. I mean, we look at Tilray and Aferia, two of Canada's largest um, cannabis companies. When their merger goes through later this year, they're going to be one of the largest um, internationally exporting producers in the world. They've already, via Tilray, been knocking on the British door for several years. They're already intimately involved in projects that are popping up in some of the islands around between France and the the UK. Um, They're intimately involved in the supply of air quotes medical cannabis. They're using medical, medical cannabis as the Trojan horse to get their version of recreation, recreational cannabis passed, uh, a kind of um, Canada 2.0, if you will, where they've, they've learned the mistakes, they've got a bit more behind them and they understand how to quash a bit more of the unregulated market. And it's again what we said before, in each territory, they kind of get to test what works and what doesn't. And this is all still just a, a giant experiment for whoever gets to be the one that sits down with the UN. And that's going to be the Americans because they effectively, through the World Health Organization, pushed to then create the 61 Convention. It was Harry J. Anslinger and the weaponization of the war on drugs against uh, or rather to proliferate racism and uh, economic uh, classism within the states that led to this convention being signed. So when the states look to federalize later in this year, next year, they, they, along with the Canadians and along with their big international players, will be sat around that table where they'll get to carve up the global market. So they're quite happy to accelerate all of these experiments. I mean, France has obviously taken on a very limited recre- so-called recreational experiment. They've also taken on a limited medical, in air quotes, medical cannabis experiment. Um, and they've chosen suppliers from around the world. And it that seems more of a bidding war, an opportunity for those six companies to kind of go, this is what we can do, this is what we can do, and whoever has the best data wins access to the country. So we're already seeing that perversion and corruption by these huge players, but even yeah. behind the scenes of them, there are the huge guys, the the investment firms that own most of the traditional industries, mm-hmm. you know, be it energy, agriculture, plastics, or, you know, textiles. Mm-hmm. They're looking at this and going, as soon as they've figured out this drug argument and all the laws are gone, we can come in and basically convert our cotton to cannabis. We can come in and switch our petroleum to bioethanol. And I think a lot of companies are already doing the work. So we've, we've said a few times on this podcast that Shell are now an energy company, not an oil producer. So they're, they're rebranding, they're marketing, they're starting to understand that they need longevity. So they're, they're looking at this. So that's another industry that's pressuring it. Look at Canadian investment. The vast majority of their cannabis industry is owned by tobacco and alcohol. So we're already seeing these huge forces sort of conglomerate. And, and it's uh, I use the analogy of the big fish eats the little fish until there's only sharks left. And then when that happens, even the sharks will starve because there's nothing left for them to eat. We'll cannibalize each other and the companies will eat each other until it's like food in the UK is run by about five or six brands, like five or six companies own everything that everybody eats and the same will happen to cannabis unless we can limit in the same way that we were looking or discussing with clubs about licenses meaning that you can't produce unless you're going to help the people you're going to help the community it's not about you have the infrastructure or that you can make x amount of profit a year 
because once those companies get large enough, they become like Google or Apple and they don't pay tax anywhere. So they're actually making us more impoverished. They've become the dealers after paying the governments to criminalize us. And then we don't even see any of their benefit. Yeah. But um, very good uh, point. <laughs> and uh, to come back to France, you know, now what is happening, it's actually a scandal because uh, everybody is celebrating because France just launched uh, experimental ex- uh, medical cannabis distribution. So basically, they're going to pick uh, numbers of patients that will have access to cannabis products. Everybody celebrating like it will be a great thing. But this is a total bullshit, you know, and I'm getting so mad at uh, the misinformation because what actually what really happens now is for two, they say that they're going to make a test for two years. It was supposed to happen last year. You don't realize how many lobbies just push, 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 push. It's just happening now. And they say like, we're going to see what happened. And if it works in two years, we're going to legalize. But man, they exactly know what is going to happen. They know they have the same data as we have. They, they do. They're just using these two years to put in place a monopole yeah. of, of pharmaceutical industry, of big uh, suppliers. Yeah. And in two years, when they're going to say, okay, now it's legal, the small producer is going to be totally left out. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, there is kind of measures that well, I'm afraid can come up is like first the monopole for all the high concentration going to be taken off even on a non-medical market i mean even for us as cbd brand uh it's gonna if they're gonna take over this and it's just two years to put in place a governmental uh monopole that leaving out of the small entrepreneurs all the people that fight for the cause and just yeah uh, so this is a to come back to your point uh that taking over like that taking over now and like they're gonna come we we won't even have the chance to to say anything it's gonna be yeah exactly mm. because while this is already happening people are in each other's ears whisper 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 we're still trying to unify we're still trying to go come here can we kind of push back we're just fucking getting the, the, the actual the football shirts onto the fucking that's all we're doing we're getting dressed the other team are out fucking playing already do you know what yeah, I mean yeah, there's nobody on yeah, the fucking pitch they're three, yeah, they're three goals up yeah. yeah do you know what I mean I mean so this is this is the, my frustration it's not a, it's not most it's not a defeatist thing even though you could argue that it would be but it, it's it could be argued that it's a, a realistic thing as well my frustration is I think we need to we obviously need to unify but do we need to unify in the initial pushback because here's the thing uh, we won't make it in time we fucking won't make it in time we got, we, we're, we're going to have to push back against 48 fucking laws after two years of fucking testing and, and data stuff go ahead 45 sorry 45 <laughs> <laughs> I thought um, you were just yeah. going shut the fuck up I want to get in here <laughs> No, never, never be so rude. Um, no, you, you are, you, you're right though, in terms of if we try and at the first hurdle, get everybody together and go, here's 500 pages of every detail worked out perfectly. That just, it can't happen. 
we need real world experience to be able to sand the rough edges, to be able to polish this thing and see what it really looks like. So what needs to happen first, in my opinion, is the collective agreement on just some core cornerstones of ideals, mm. some ideas, philosophies or concepts that are applicable to every culture that are applicable to all cultures around the world around cannabis because all of the cultures are different and diverse and they either they come from very different sides of this some have literally never stopped their historic cultivation they never really had a war on drugs some were facing the death penalty and now looking at creating tourism hotspots so there's all these kind of economic um um sort of creativity being explored around the world but the the underclass the people that were already here the millions of consumers and not really getting that voice. But I think collectively all they want is A, a piece of the pie, B, to not be criminalized, and C, to have that that, opp that fair opportunity to have their voices and their experiences validated. So that when these huge corporations come, it's not just, oh, this guy's got a business degree. Oh, this guy's an amazing accountant. This guy's an amazing lawyer. And they present this as this amazing cannabis dream team that's going to create the best cannabis industry. It's like, no, you need people with that lived experience. There are more people in prison now that know more about cannabis than are in all of the boardrooms of all of these companies combined. I can guarantee you that to be true without even having to think about statistics because it's evident, it is self-fucking evident, because if you get to a level of sophistication and skill during prohibition, you're a hell of a grower. If you can keep a 2000 plant grow undercover for a decade and only get caught out because one of your growers was an idiot and got caught stone driving one day, then you deserve to be in, in an internationally accredited warehouse somewhere. You deserve to be in the field. You deserve to have that lived experience validated. And I think those are the conversations that are not being had in America and Canada. They're talking about expungement. They're talking about, oh, we'll just rub it off your record. But still in a lot of places, it's not actually gone from your record. It's just gone from what would be the superficial first check. If you then went to get checked around working with children or et cetera, you would still be flagged for this. They're still going to punitively uh, harm you and, and make you carry this um, scarlet A or star or whatever sort of iconography you want to bring to mind for the rest of their life because of something that they did at a time where the establishment said was wrong that now the establishment is making profit from and so again expungement doesn't go far enough even the idea of going into deprived areas and giving them economic first dibs still doesn't go far enough you need to take from the international companies that are making these ungodly sums of money and pump them straight back into it, whether they have connection to those communities or not, mm. because there are still more people living in poverty and living in deprived socioeconomic situations as a consequence of prohibition that never dealt drugs, that never consumed drugs, that because of certain decisions made by, say, in the UK, of the South, the ruling South going, oh, the druggy North, being able to use the war on drugs to decimate certain communities just because certain prime ministers disliked uh, the backlash that they gave to certain events. It's, it's, it's bullshit. We're, we're suffering under the historic ignorance and hate and idiocy of, of previous generations of lead, leaders and, and thought leaders that created these policies while at the same time now denying those same revolutionaries, those same 
dreamers, if you want to call them that, the same visionaries, the opportunity to voice their opinion without them then going, ah, you do drugs and drugs are illegal, ego, I don't have to listen to you because you're a bad person. That I, I see that every day with some of the smartest people I know are denied access to, to a conversation and are not given that seat and that opportunity to speak their narrative because of their drug consumption, their history, their culture, their dress sense, their haircut. Do you know what I mean? This this discrimination that you see from this 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 elite that have moved into the can, what's cannabis industry that they've created that don't consume cannabis, that never did. They grew up going, oh yeah, I smell weed and oh yeah, druggies. They were they were the same kind of people that when they saw the arrests in papers when it was illegal, going yeah yeah, but now it's legal. They're all happy to be on the cover of magazines and posing with cannabis plants and thinking that they're great when they didn't have the fortitude or the, or the passion or the decency to stand for this when it was illegal. Hmm. Sorry, I went on one there. You did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, to, <clears throat> to come back to a point about the companies that uh, if I, we don't want to be left over when uh, the buyers come, uh, you know, I believe they're going to need us. They're going to need us because we do have the knowledge, we do have the communities, we do have uh, the influence, the authority today. And that's why I believe like uh, they, they will need us so that when exactly we need to unify, you know, for example, Herb and Co, I really wanted to make it, but then because of the legislation, I I had a lot of trouble to find companies because I opened in 19, huh? Herb & Co, so it, a lot changed since 19. But I had a lot of uh, trouble to find companies and employees, but I wanted to list it, for example, as you said, all the growers, you know, that can grow, you know, and all the all the people that uh, know how to, to build the hydrogen stuff and, uh, and kind of has this catalog of cannabis talent uh, that can be presented mm. to a company when needed. And I believe that uh, the big names of the European industry today, I don't think it's myself. I believe there is way much bigger. I'm making sure I, we don't think I'm talking about me. The big names of the company need to be able to present the smaller people uh, to the big ones. You know, for example, uh, well, I don't have a straight example now, but that's when the unif Unification must come, you know, like the unification of the talents yeah. to push each other, to present each other to the other one, like the ones that have the connection to the big one, like let's present the, the this because he can he do it for a long time, he deserves it, you know, like uh, so that when the solidarity and the unification uh, must come, I guess. Yeah. But uh, they're gonna need us, and I think we, if we are uh, aware of our power, we can really. Uh, we can really make it work for us in general. Mm. Mm. Almost uh, like think... a socio-capitalist kind of a thing, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, for sure. Like um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, if you're in the cannabis industry, you can't really be ca capitalist. Huh? For me, I, 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 I do love money because I believe I can <laughs> change the world with money. But it's not uh, capitalism. I want. I don't want money to accumulate stuff. You know, I want yeah, yeah, money yeah. because. I can change things with money, yeah, you know, yeah. like thanks to my money, I, thanks to my money, <laughs> thanks to money, I could put CBD in a lot of 
uh, houses, you know, and like uh, thanks to money, I could promote a new company that is promoting the weed, you know, so yeah. that is uh, why on my side, I, I, I like money, but uh, I, I don't know why we are talking about money, but to, all that to say that you can't really be a capitalist if you're in the cannabis, yeah. uh, but still uh, you can integrate the, the capitalist uh, mm. with the cannabis mind. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. I'm sort of reminded of uh, Trev Coleman's quote of cannabis is a, a cannabis, a cannabis is a capitalist resource with a socialist agenda. And it, it's, 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 it's kind of true because then wherever we see cannabis profits accelerating in regions, say like Colorado, it does a lot of social good. They end up reinvesting it into education, into infrastructure, and then it leads to measures decriminalizing, say, entheogenic substances. It then leads to conversations around, say, places like Oregon, decriminalizing very small personal possession of all drugs. So it, it, we then do see those kind of changes. And I think, yeah, cannabis in its kind of in its nature, I think the people who will seek to profit from it but will not consume it will not get the message, as it were. They will not without getting too spiritual, kind of hear it speak to them. You know what I mean? They won't get that moment of going, oh shit, that's what it's about. And all of a sudden they'll look at their branding, they'll look at their advertising, they'll look at their culture within the, the business and kind of go, oh, we missed it. We've missed it. Let's start again. Do you know what I mean? And it, I think that if we can encourage that kind of hyper-normalization of cannabis to a certain degree, that it is so just present and ubiquitous in culture that it can counteract, say, cocaine culture and, and alcohol, or what is the combination is cocaethylene, which is a very dangerous substance when you put it in the boardroom alongside a higher prevalence of uh, psychopathy. The combination of these things typically leads to some very dangerous socioeconomic consequences. And I think that, again, switching that out for cannabis consumers, it adds that sympathy, that empathy, that compassion, and that kind of even yes, the paranoia to a certain degree to the business to allow them to not operate with too much hubris and too much ego and kind of question what they're doing rather than just going, let's go for the old traditional model. Why are you laughing at me? Sorry, I just had this like random, like <clears throat> vivid uh, image come into my head of just the House of Lords where everybody's absolutely fucking blitzkrieg after smoking blunts. Every one of them just fucking passed out of sleep. And fucking, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, you know, paper bags everywhere, food and a whole lot. Uh, it'd probably be a good thing. <laughs> but that's, that's the vision that I have. Wherever alcohol would be available, cannabis would be available in that sense that it, we would then create that option for consumption, but then it would also be available in its own unique spaces. I think the multi faceted nature of cannabis and the d extreme diversity of consumers means that clubs shouldn't just look like 18 to 34 retreats what am i trying to pull out you know those kind of holidays yeah, for, yeah. for young singles it shouldn't look like that kind of experience some should because that's what they're catering to a corner of the market but if we then try to i want a health if we try, yeah, if we try and pigeonhole yeah. cannabis lounges, clubs, dispensaries, whatever, to be this is what this is cannabis culture and kind of force everybody through that channel. And then we wonder why these sort of young teens, late teens are all acting the same, wanting the same brands and the same hype rather than wanting substance and education, rather than wanting to grow their own and be self-sufficient, learn about the plant, create their own cultivars because they best suit them as individuals. They want to have that money lifestyle they want to live live that kind of that life and 
I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong, but that shouldn't be the only incentivization in our culture, especially as a as a wide cannabis culture. We kind of from all generations and from all walks of life, all classes and backgrounds need to carve out our corner and our niche. And I think only when we can define ourselves within the larger cannabis community, we can all speak in unification because a lot of us don't know why we're opposed to medical cannabis. Some people don't know why they're opposed to recreational cannabis. Some people don't, do you know what I mean? They're so within their own un limited understanding of cannabis that the other is, is a potential harm to their worldview and their ideal legalization or their ideal decriminalization. Yeah. And so we, we appear to be a threat to each other mm. rather than an ally. We look like crabs in a bucket. You put crabs in a bucket and one of them tries to escape. The other crab pulls it down. Yeah. There's like an instinctual spitefulness there of going, no, we're all going down together. And that's what kind of happens here. So we see it in movements around the world that when a medical movement, an industrial movement, a recreational freedom movement, a right to whatever, whatever the root of the campaign, it ever gets ever narrower until it then falls to a point where more people fall outside of that campaign than with inside of it. And I think that's what's happening within medical cannabis in the UK. You're told you either go to your doctor, get a prescription, here you go, then you can post it on Facebook. Then you can have your pictures of your joints and you can be proudly sharing your pictures because you know if the police came to your house, you can go, I've got a piece of paper that says I'm protected. But where were you for five, six years when you've been buying off that illegal market, when you've been supporting the the unregulated consumer, uh, dealers and growers and cultivators? Do you know what I mean? It, it, the hypocrisy there, I think, is, is not their fault because we all want to feel safe. We all want, as I described earlier, to not have that anxiety when the blue light goes. Mm. We want to be able to, to live our life freely. And if they then offer us a way out, it's like you're locked in a snake pit and they then go, here's a rope. And the only rope is medical cannabis. And I think that that's kind of what they're, they're going to do with different things is they'll dangle little ropes and they'll pull enough of us out of the pit until the rebels, the hardcore, the uh, extremist like me, I'll just look like a lunatic. You're a softy. What do you want about? <laughs> You're a fucking but cuddly not, teddy bear. Fuck's not, sake. Not, not in my actions, but in my ideology, in my oh, philosophy. Yeah. Oh, do you know yeah. what I mean? In that, in that sense, I'm dangerous to the establishment. I'm not a threat physically. I'm not liable or likely to do anything uh, to physically harm another. I'm a pacifist by nature. But ultimately, I am willing to dedicate my life to the argument that the war only ends when all of the legal oppression is over. Yes, it does. But the war isn't over if there are minor setbacks. Right, they're the battles, not the war. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So it's it's not a just because some seek safety and I and I don't begrudge them that in the fuck is latest and obviously neither do you. It's a case of just ensuring that there's no fallout and that that responsibility lies with us that that grand you have your safety but fucking stay in the fight lad do you know that kind of way come the fuck on yeah. you know what i mean there's a lot more that fucking needed do you know that kind of way so um and here's the thing it, it'll be a stepped battle because the more they get it um you know what i mean we'll still be boxed off we'll still have the 49 and a half laws um that was a joke. I know you dickhead. Um, Four hundred seventy-six. Four hundred seventy-six. We'll keep adding. We'll keep adding. <laughs> <laughs> we'll still have all of the, these hoops to jump through. Um, but it, it it goes back to um, reunification. Reunification. You you like the re-legalization. 
reunify. That's what we fucking need to do. And how do we do that? Well, we know that we're being polarized on purpose. We know that we're being offered diluted and twisted information to keep us in our fucking boxes while we actually agree fundamentally on the same thing. So we can fucking deconvolute the situation. And just like you alluded to earlier, make generalized points that are, you know, inform informed enough so that we can all move forward onto each log together to use your analogy from earlier so that's all we have to do but here's the thing but it's going to take some time it will do so we should measure our expectation to push back against whatever fucking shite that they hand us um hand hand to us because we're you know six laps behind the the race leader Mm. anyway that's me i'm gonna show no, good, good point. Good point. I think we've kind of waffled uh, a we lot have. about, about uh, legalization. We've got stuck in this kind of loop that we always yeah. do. And also to to come back on one of your points, I don't remember, but some, at some point I think you you found. I wanted to have something about normalization because during your your talk, something made me think about it. But I think also one of the things we have to do. To help the cause, to help people to to be on our side, to be on the cannabis uh, community side. After the education is the normalization. Uh, you know, I think we need to be able to show cannabis more and more to people and uh, put it everywhere, everywhere. You know, like uh, for example, first uh, we we try to make events in a yoga center, we make events in like bars, like we made like a cocktail mm. with stuff. And we're really trying to uh, put cannabis everywhere so people are not shocked anymore when they see it, people are not afraid anymore, they're more and more res um, receptive, you know? And I think also like, uh, for example, through the social media, is helping a lot to democratize, you know, like uh, people seeing weed, you know, like, uh, uh, I know, like, uh, and more in the UK uh, community, you have a lot of uh, different people uh, showing cannabis side. You know, I'm thinking about uh, Nina, woman with of UK. You have a cannabis activist. I mean, they are not stoners. They are all different profiles. And I believe that these people are also helping a lot uh, the people to uh, see cannabis on the other side and to join the cause or at least to not be against, you know? Yes. And like, this is also, I think, one of the big thing, like mm. put cannabis everywhere, like, and that's what I'm trying to do with my own social media is really trying to show like, uh, you can smoke all the time, you can smoke and be like, uh, for that basic and huh, to say that, but really try to, to, to put it all the time everywhere. So people are just used to see it and they just like, accept it more and more like alcohol and um... mm -hmm. <laughs> yes you're right yeah well i think yeah it's the diversity of that uh exposure as well that really helps so in my head there i was kind of thinking of in america you've got snoop dogg owns a cannabis company but so does martha stewart so yeah. it, it, they're, they're kind of polarized in some way but then they've done a, a crossover cannabis cooking show together and it it shows that once you kind of remove the stigma that's enforced by the law, 
all of these wider communities can kind of see each other and recognize and go, shit, you, you smoke weed too. I had no idea. You know, there's, I'm thinking of a meme in my head that I've seen, which is like a father and a son. And the first one is a dad sat in his room smoking a bong. And the other one is a, a, a kid sat in his room smoking a joint out the window. And the panels in the caption above them is both, I really wish I knew how to connect with my father. I really knew, wish I knew how to connect with my son because it silences us. The law and the stigma removes our voice. And so for the, the, the few that are first then brave enough to kind of show that, wait a minute, you can do this and there's very little consequence and you can actually then create a space in a little community all your own where you can explore cannabis publicly in a safer forum that rather than just sounding and seeming like a lunatic dressing in a giant weed leaf suit or whatever and running into the street and, and shouting about it, you can safely build up to those levels. I mean, the, the ultimate and simplest act of activism in cannabis, I suppose in anything, is by doing the thing. So by being seen consuming cannabis, you are, you are doing far more than the person who sits quietly in their room with posters everywhere and enjoys all the films and whatever, but never goes out and says anything to anybody. That's me. That wasn't, that wasn't, it wasn't a dig, but <laughs> obviously people are in these positions for different reasons. Some have a limitation because of their geographical location, uh, because of the rules and legislations in their area. Some have it because of the children, for example, and they fear that the state would take away their children. Some fear it for the stigma and bullying that they would face from colleagues at work. You know, there is so many levels of, of stigma that come with this. It's not just the, are you stoner? You know, are you got red eye and any of the cliched jokes that you'll hear from people. It's really nuanced bullshit you will face in your daily life. They will, they will not take any opinion seriously because they will suddenly be able to go, ah, you were high. Well, look at him. He's, he's off his rocker again when you're presenting something serious because they immediately have lost that respect for you. And not only that, the law tells them they're right in doing that. And it creates that toxic, yeah. that toxic loop in their head. So the yeah. more that they can do that and demonize them, the, the better they feel about themselves. And it gives that neurological feedback that they're going, oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And society tells me I'm a good person. I'm, do you know what I mean? And it builds yeah. up the average prohibitionist to be so ignorant, but so fueled with confidence mm. because they're right. The law, you know, I can well, just ring the police. I can, we, in their mind, they are. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, can, I know what you mean. I they can ring the police. They could have you arrested. They can have you home searched. So all they've got to do, prick, is what you can be. But yeah, but they can threaten you in a confrontation. So then, if you are just your average cannabis consumer and you you can't wear a t-shirt with a cannabis leaf on, you can't be seen. You have to worry about how you smell in certain situations. Yeah. You're living such a hello. No, no offense. I don't mean this to, per, to be personalized. It's fine. But you end up living a much smaller life, not because of who you are or the limitations of your personality, mm -hmm. but because of the pressures from external forces, which limit you from being free. So even if you don't have the highest ambition in life, you are still limited by your possibility and your potential. So this is why we need yeah. that, that respect there, and that and to pay it forward. There is, another, there is something else to be added into that example as well is, and the more sort of, um, I don't want to say progressed and I don't want to say successful, but the more that you have, say, to use a sort of a capitalist trope, the more you've got to lose. Now, mm. that's that's something else. So just a slight personalization for me and I still have my hang ups and I won't go into them. I'm not I'm not looking for any sort of psychological help, and even though I probably should probably fucking seek it at some point. But the, the point I'm trying to make is. At this stage in my life, I'm I'm a lot more conscious of 
some of the things that I choose to do. Whereas when if I was 10 years ago, hmm, I think I'd be a lot more brash than I am. And I'm brash as it is. So I understand your point from a generalist perspective 100%, but there's an awful lot more context that goes on, uh, especially with, um, you know, people that give a shit. It doesn't matter what it's, what it's about. It doesn't matter whether it's money, whether it's fucking your wealth or your, your job or whatever. If you give a shit about something and the, 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 the and you have an awful lot of stuff that you give a shit about, not just one thing, say you have 10 things. Do you know that kind of way? And every single fucking one of them are at risk because of this piece of paper over here that was written 60 fucking years ago, Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? I can see why there are 5 million plus, I think that number is low, 5 million plus uh, uh, consumers of cannabis in the UK. Where the fuck are you? Where are you? Where are you? you? Seriously. Here's the thing. I know you're there. But, but I and I and I and I ask that question very flippantly because I know the answer. I know the answer. You're somewhere where I am in the fucking middle. You're here. You're not sure which way you want to fucking go. And I don't fucking blame you for it. I don't. I get it. Do you know that kind of way? But this is one of the reasons why I'm, even though I'm not a visible consumer, I'm visibly here. The assumptions can be made. You don't have to be a fucking rocket science to understand it. Do you know that kind of way? Why am I here? Do you know that kind of way? So it, it, it's a case of I've done that part. I'm still working on the other bits, but I know that I'm working on them. Do you know that kind of way? None of this is a justification. I only opened this door because I think that it offers a small bit more context into why we have mm. this problem. Why, you know, there aren't 5 million people willing to get out of the closet right now and just march out in the fuck street all the way down into to the fucking government. Imagine 5 million people walking down to the fucking... <laughs> it wouldn't even be fucking possible. You couldn't even fucking do it. You can imagine it. You, there is no answer to that. You can't police it. You can't fucking do any of those things. Yeah. Do you know that kind of way? So it, it needs yeah. to happen. It needs to happen. But we just, we've, we've got to be very sort of a small bit individualized in terms of, you know, in our approach. We can't just blanket this. Um, well, yeah, it, yeah, I think it's everyone has a path within this. I think it's. Yeah. It would be cliche to call it, say, an awakening or any of those kind of things, because it, it, it's kind of not. It's more an, an unveiling. And so the truth is always there, but they've thrown this shroud of propaganda and prohibition over the top of it. And we've looked at it, and every time we've glimpsed it throughout our lives, and gone, oh, that's the thing, that's the thing. And it's not until the subject becomes relevant to you that you kind of peel it up and go, what the hell is this thing? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And that takes some people, it started, it started incredibly early with me. I, I was ex- ex- uh, exposed and experienced in drugs at a very young age and the culture and the benefits that I got from the, um, from the interactions that I had in the community that I found helped shape and inform my decisions in the rest of my life through that snowball of events, uh, uh, led me to be, to be as active as I am now. And for all, I understand what you're saying about risk and, um, and as a sort of uh, disincentive from speaking out, I feel I've got a lot to risk, but I feel within myself, having lived a lot of the experiences that I speak of, um, directly understanding them, that I'd be too disingenuous to myself to not then speak that. 
And I think that everyone arises, arrives at that point at some time, whether it is even a few drinks into something or whether it's a, an ecstasy experience, whether it's feeling comfortable at a festival or a gathering or some sort of uh, assortment and community of people mm-hmm. that then allow you to speak that kind of truth. And then once you verbalize it and allow it into the world, you, you can't help but then go down that road. Once you allow that truth into your brain, you break down that cognitive cognitive dissonance, the little barrier in your brain that go that can literally go, oh yeah, cannabis is a medicine it should be legalized and no one's ever died off it. But at the same time, then sees a criminal gang that's stealing electricity or whatever and then go, yeah, that's why cannabis is illegal. Yeah, they, mean, they, You can't quite, they haven't got to the point where they've looked at all of the things and gone, yeah. something's wrong here and it's not me. And when people arrive at that point, that's when they can really take those steps. And that's when they first start by talking to a friend, telling their partner. I mean, I know, I know mates that have hidden it from like girlfriends they've been in uh, relationships with for, for a decade <laughs> with, with air, with air freshener, with body Come spray, on. with chewing, with chewing gum and shit. No, but, but then the partner obviously wants to believe the lie as well. So, but because that's part, part of it, we end up losing again. It's the consequences of the, and the damage of prohibition on the human psyche and what it's done to our culture mm. harms the people who don't even think they interact with drugs. Yeah. They're going, I've never known a druggie. When the mom, when the mom has got a serious prescription pill problem, the brother might have a serious cocaine problem. The, the, do you know what I'm saying? The children, it's, it's because they're not aware of the thing doesn't mean it's not there. And I think that once people can kind of, the, the unveiling of that truth happens, you then, if you can find that fortitude, you can tear it off and see the beast for what it is and understand that the consequences of the war on drugs have informed and shaped what is modern humanity now. And a lot of the consequences we live under, be it environmental, social, economic, are a consequence of this. And cannabis is, it's the stopper, the plug on the dam, that once we pull it, it'll run through and it'll tear the concrete walls down. And we then get a bit of the equity that they have stolen from us. Because once cannabis gets legalized, descheduled, removed, and actually allowed to be available to the people, the larger conversations happen. And that money suddenly can come back into those communities and it tips the scales. And I think that's so, so why they're so adamant at trying to restrain this, why they're trying to do the French con as we can call it, I suppose, mm-hmm. or we can, or the way they're doing it with medical cannabis in the UK, they're trying to funnel and tune and delay till they've got the infrastructure to flip that switch so that it's not yeah. them pulling the bung of cannabis uh, de and everything falls. They've created a nice little groove and some channels. So they continue, they never give us that wealth. They'll never enrich our communities again. They will siphon it off. But we are the first generation, I think, in a long time to have the power, the capability, the knowledge and the passion, and frankly, the balls, that's gender bias, uh, the fortitude, the the genitalia to to do something about it. We we are really capable. We can, if all hands together, all them ropes, to continue that analogy and pull that bung out of the dam, it will break. And that's why they're throwing everything they can to break up our communities, just because they're not then raiding clubs or then, or then raiding organizations and certain um, movements doesn't mean they're not infiltrating, doesn't mean they're not spreading misinformation, doesn't mean they're not targeting us. Do you know what I mean? The powers that they have in terms of manipulation of algorithms, direct advertising, social media, et cetera, is enormous when you start to look at the scale of the people that are invested in this. So you've got to think that the the power that is in the individual to weaponize social media against this this monolith of prohibition or prohibition 2.0 rather this new legalization mm. is immense. I mean, I just want to again. I think we did. I did it the other night on uh, the Women of Weed uh, 
uh, live that we did. I want to shout out Instagram. For some reason, over the past two days, my Discover page is full <clears throat> of cannabis content again. It hasn't been for like 18 months to two years, but now I scroll and out of the like, was it 12 images, like eight of them, nine of them, a cannabis uh, cannabis accounts that I have never seen before. New content, new exposure, an opportunity to, to I'm, I'm excited again to engage with the platform because it's new people, new voices, new knowledge. And I don't know if something's deliberately happened or whether I'm just a lucky few, but I hope that it, it proliferates and more people get this because that's the power we have. We have in, I was going to grab my phone for emphasis, but the, in, in the phone, the, the, the ability to communicate and connect with each other at any point to share our experience and our knowledge so they can pump out, pump out whatever story they want in the media. They can try and get us to think of a, an experiment or a trial one way while they're actually conducting someone else, but the truth will come out. There are people that see bullshit, they smell bullshit, and they're going to call it out. And that's one of the wonderful things, I think, that motivates me, I suppose, to do this work. And I, um, I, th I think it's probably the same is true with you, Clara. Really yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, uh, social media is, uh, I mean, today, I believe cannabis has such a voice thanks to social media. And I believe today also more and more people allow themselves to speak also because they are uh, supported by uh, the social media communities. For example, we know each other through social media and I've been knowing the whole UK community through social media, you know, and like, uh, I know that uh, women with of UK, they, they shared a lot of uh, testimony of women, like uh, uh, moms, uh, workers that say like, I, I allow myself to speak thanks to you because they saw that there was other women. So I believe today social media is very, very uh, unificator. You can unify. <laughs> I don't know if it's a word that exists, but it's it's a really great to support each other, to tell our story, to show ourselves with cannabis, to say you're not alone. But as you said, it's also they also have a huge power to shut us up, and uh, and uh, to to go to. For my experience, I was shadow banned so many times. Like uh, every time I was showing weed, for example, after for a week, I would have like 50 views on stories, you know, and uh, when found, and like uh, just for showing a flower once, you know, and I'm like, they really, but I believe we're stronger than them and on the optimist side and I just keep talking, even if it's for talking to one person, I believe uh, stories have to be shared and uh, Having an impact is not uh, Instagram that's going to uh, uh, make us or not have an impact. We're going to have it, yes or yes. And uh, yeah, 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 for sure. I believe uh, social media has this two sides, but uh, it's our choice to make the best of it. In, in, indeed, indeed. So, like I say, hopefully this is maybe a, a lull in shadow banning and an opportunity because a lot of the hashtags that were previously banned for me are now available. So hopefully we can then use this as an opportunity now to flood those platforms with content to show them that, oh my God, the engagement far outweighs their false morals and their willingness to adhere to certain laws when they're quite happy to ignore other ones for tax purposes. So I think, we again, we have that power. Um, and I think on that point, it's a wonderful opportunity to round this up. So 
we've got um, one final question that I'd like to ask, which is something I ask every guest, which is, um, what does the future hold for you? What is? What does the future hold for you? Uh, the future is bright. Uh, a lot of blue flowers, a lot of uh, people converted to cannabis, a lot of people helped with cannabis. Uh, I believe future, as you said, future is cannabis, and I believe it's coming now, and I don't see any future else. Uh, and uh, but that may be too lyric. On a personal level, my future holds on uh, keep on pushing help and co uh, hiring new freelancers uh, put uh, the tree cbd as a mondial leader and uh, and just keep uh, keep educating uh, the most people i see the yeah. most people i meet and uh, yeah well, keep spread the love keep it <laughs> yeah spread the love yeah keep educating the people especially the people that have the opportunity to change exactly and yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one message every time for everybody that likes the plants. It's like whoever, whatever is your surrounding, whatever is like, try educate your neighbor about the plant. <laughs> if it, you don't have to, for example, if it's your mom, you don't have to talk about cannabis. You can, you can talk about hemp, about the environment uh, benefits. If it's your doctor, you can just start talking about CBD. Does he know CBD? If it's your friend, maybe you can talk about. Uh, you can talk. Uh, just educate your everyone around you, and little by little, uh, we we're gonna win. We sure. have this. We'll chip away. And uh, thank you so much for this great talk. <laughs> it's a pleasure. No pleasure. Excellent to have you. Excellent to have you. Uh, I'm not sure if Mr. Maka has pulled up. Just doing we, it now. He's doing it now. Uh, we'd be pulling up your Instagram page and Herb and & Co. and Tree CBD to give uh, people uh, an idea of where they can keep uh, keep up to date with your work. We will also be tagging um, the accounts below in the bio. Sorry, I'm getting distracted by my cat crawling on me for the people that can't see this in the video. Um, but yeah, once again, Clara, thank you very much for, for coming on. It, is, it has been a pleasure. We'll have to have you back on in the future because I think I only got through about half my questions. Um, <laughs> yeah, as, 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 as usual. As usual. Um, but yeah, guys, once again, thank you very much for listening, folks, and for viewing if you are on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, please do check us out if you enjoyed this at patreon.com forward slash a simple life where you can help fund this little project of ours and help us get bigger and bigger guests and branch out into some bigger and bigger projects. Uh, we're available on most social media platforms uh, at The Simple Life. You can check me out doing a solo live every Thursday and now live simultaneously on YouTube, Facebook and Twitch. So do check that out at 7 p.m. every week. Right. It's been a pleasure. Peace, love and good week, folks. Good week. Or good weed. Good, good week and good, good week. week. Good <laughs> weed in your week. Peace and love. <laughs> Bye.